Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Kenya's biggest conversation that's broadcast live every weekday morning from 6 to 10 a.m. on Spice FM. Hit subscribe for more thought-provoking conversations with your hosts Eric Latif, Ndu Oko and CT Muga and who's who of an eclectic mix of guests from the world of politics, policy, business and culture. This is a Situation Room podcast. Enjoy. We have a new guest in the studio. He's from the Camry Welcome Trust, those friends of ours who we visited in Kilifi uh, last year. We will be talking about research and governance in Africa, uh, building, developing research leaders across the continent. Yes. Professor Sam Kinyanjui. He is the Head of Training and Capacity Building at Camry Welcome Trust Program and also Director of IDEAL. I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah. It's IDEAL, right? Yeah, IDEAL. Yes. Okay, so let's start from the good morning. Morning. Welcome to Kenya's Biggest Conversation. Ah, thank you very much. Good to have you here. What exactly is your day job? Oh, maybe just to put it in context, yeah. the biggest challenge uh, we have in Africa is our research capacity is still very low. Mm. And you can measure capacity in many different ways. Some of the ways are the more formal ones where we look at how many publications, scientific publications coming out, how many patents are coming out, how many products are being developed. And by whichever measure you take, mm. you will find that Africa, and Kenya included, lags behind considerably compared to other countries. Of course, we do have our day-to-day -day innovations, and I'm not saying that Africans are not making products, but we are talking of products that makes us uh, comp economically competitive, products that uh, you can uh, apply across a wide range of uh, populations, for example, you know, public health interventions. Mm -hmm. And in those areas, we tend to lag behind. And part of the reason is not because we are not, we are not intellectually capable. We have extremely sharp people. We have seen the innovations that come out of Kenya, for example, and Pesa and others, and out of Africa. The challenge is that we do not have structures and systems for training. Yes, we do have universities, but in many cases, they are not really meeting their mandate. Part of their mandate is research, and they are not meeting it well. So what we do at the Chem Welcome to Research Program, and that is the department that I head, we have created a framework uh, which we call the Attract, Train, retain and transform framework. The framework, we have schemes for attracting young Kenyans to research. A lot of Kenyans don't, young Kenyans don't even consider research as part of their career when they're thinking of their career options. And especially given what we tend to see, what we see, we see money, we see tenderpreneurs and all those sort of people. What yeah. are our role models? Mm. Uh, often they don't get to see researchers. And if in their universities, they, are, they also don't have a, very vibrant research going on that is never in their uh, menu of options yep. for, for for careers it's never in their so, line of sight you yeah, don't see it, researchers yeah. so at that track level we have uh, schemes we start with uh, uh, school graduates under uh, secondary school graduates the mm -hmm. top graduates in Cliffy County we are focusing on Cliffy County in part because just of our capacity and that is also where our largest campus is mm -hmm. but our hope is that we can expand and we bring the top 10 students they spend time with us two months. They just get exposure to the professional uh, environment, but also
also get to hear about research. Not all of them go on to become researchers, but a number of them do change their university options and now opt for the subjects that are more research-oriented. Right. We also have undergraduate attachments who again come and spend two months. They again get exposure to research. Uh, at the top of that, we have what used to be an internship program. It's now been converted to a postgraduate diploma in health research methods in conjunction with Pony University. Mm -hmm. And there what we focus on is that they come in, they have uh, about four taught courses, but most of the work is uh, getting experience and getting exposure to research. And one of the things that uh, really changes in them, it's not so much the source of uh, book knowledge, because they'll have had that at undergraduate. It's just becoming confident in understanding how research works. And for example, they, they'll sit in uh, scientific meetings and in our setup, they'll see a student asking a professor a question. And they start understanding that science is about asking questions. It's being confident to challenge the what is known so that is at the attracting level and mm. with that we have uh, been able to and we normally have about 20 to 25 interns every year mm -hmm. and most of them out of about uh, nearly 300 now of uh, 250 have ended up going on to do masters and phd because they now get attracted into right. the research career mm. at, at the training level mm -hmm. we have masters and phd training now we are not ourselves uh, an accredited university but we have the setup where people can do really high quality health research uh, training so we have people doing their masters we have phds uh, also doing their, their their projects with us at any one time we have about uh, 60, 50 to 60 PhD students, about 30 to 40 master students embedded directly within our program. And on a day-to-day -day basis, they come to our program or they are maybe uh, away uh, working together with our, at our collaborators. Mm. And the, really the key thing there we focus on are three areas. We focus on uh, uh, the, the quality of training, supervision and mentorship. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, 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 and exposure and giving also generic uh, training such as leadership. We also focus on the training environment itself. So exposure to really high quality uh, research infrastructure, exposure to a very multidisciplinary environment where they are not only learning their own things, but they, they get a very wide view. And, and, and an example is you have had some of them come here to talk about, or in other radio stations, talk about their research. Yep. They get training about community and public engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, the third area we focus on is uh, 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 support, mm -hmm. living support, operational support. So all our students, including the ones who come at the secondary level, we try and give them a stipend. We, we will go out and source for funding so that we are able to include students from all parts of the country. We don't want a situation where only students from, say, you know, Nairobi, Khalifa, or wherever, or higher socioeconomic status are the ones that we are training. We have people coming, <coughs> students from uh, uh, Trukana all the way to Kuala and all the way to Isabania and, you know, and Wajir. So we are very strong on inclusivity in terms of uh, socioeconomic ability, but also in terms of gender. Uh, people often sh shocked when they see the number of uh, young, uh, very eloquent, very good uh, uh, female scientists that we have. When we go, for example, to visit schools, mm. 
the female students are surprised when they see, you know, the people who are out there. And the other thing that we focus on is catching people young. The average age of our PhD students by graduation is about 30 years. In Kenya, generally mm. people are in their 40s. Yeah. But that is when you're sharpest. Me, I'm, already, my, I'm, I'm past my sort of sharpness peak. <laughs> uh, you know, these are the guys who are really producing. Mm. So that's that's a, that level. Then the next level, so I talked of attract, train, train. retain. retain now. We want to retain those people we have trained. Mm. Some of them we retain in our program, but we don't have space to take up everybody. Mm. So we want to retain them in Kenya. Mm. We have uh, schemes where we have a sort of a bit of funding to enable them go off into local universities. So if they go to the university or to another research center in Kenya and say, I need employment, they say, we don't have funding. They say, what about if I come with a year salary? Right. So then they are ready to take you in. So we are... So uh, the salary is being paid by the program. By the Cam- program, Cam- yes. Cam- Welcome Trust yes. program. Yes, yes. But the person is basically embedded in, in a different yes. institution. In, the, in a different institution. Right. And then also what you'd seek mm-hmm. is matching funding. So if you say, we're going to give a year, are you going to give a year? And often people year. say, yeah, I'm happy to give a year. Mm-hmm. And that has allowed our PhD students and graduates to then transition very successfully to different research centers, both locally and internationally. So we are retaining them both locally, mm-hmm. but they are those who will go international. We still have an angle of retention where they are doing research that is relevant to Africa. Okay. So we have retained them for Africa, even if physically they are not. For they're example, not. we have two uh, graduates who will go and do malaria research in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of you are familiar now with the Chadox vaccine. Uh, we have a lot mm-hmm. of people, a number of people who have worked in the Jenner Institute. If they're working on uh, issues or health uh, challenges that are relevant to Africa, mm-hmm. then we still consider them as retained. Because to be honest, you can't retain every can't retain person, everybody. Every person, but I mean, we want to just take looking advantage. at you have fifty to sixty masters and PhD students about uh, at you, any given time. At any given time, we have 60, 50 to sixty PhD students, another forty master students, about twenty five PhD students, and we'll have ten also undergraduate attachments and ten uh, school leavers uh, attachment scheme. The, mm. the, the graduates, uh, the O level students. That's mm. quite a number. Yeah. Mm. That's quite a number. Remember when we went yeah. to Kilifi, mm. we met a doctor who went through this scheme of yours right from school, Dr. Yep. Sophie Wioga. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the testimony, should we say the live testimony of yeah. how it is this program works, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is out there in the open for anyone who yeah. cares to see. But mm. I wanted to ask this question. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're not an accredited university, yeah. but which universities do you collaborate with? Yeah. So we collaborate with a wide range of universities. We have collaborations with local universities. A good example is the, the PGD program. Yeah. Uh, we collaborate very closely with Pwani University. They provide the accreditation, the quality control, the examination, the registration, and they have been extremely uh, helpful in ensuring that all the bureaucratic aspects are all really well handled. And so our PGD students are probably one of the few PGD students as, as schemes where people come in, do everything, and graduate within their year. And on the graduation, they, they get their they get their, their, their certificate. certificate. They actually go home with their certificate. Not many universities are able to do that. We also run two master's programs together mm. with uh, Pwani University. And again, among the few 
few master's programs that people come and spend exactly two years and graduate and walk away with their uh, master's uh, certificates. We also collaborate with Nairobi University, especially in the area of uh, pediatric uh, diseases and clinical research. Uh, again, we collaborate with Strathmore. We are running now a PhD program in healthcare management. As you know, a lot of in, in our profession, we tend to be promoted by our academic qualification rather than our manage, managerial or leadership skills. Mm. And so one of the areas we are focusing on is mid-level health managers. And we are working together at Strathmore University on our PhD uh, in healthcare managing programs. Mm. So those are some of our locked ones. Now, internationally, we collaborate very closely, obviously, with Oxford University which is uh, one of the partners of the Chemri Welcome Research Program. We also co uh, collaborate with the Open University of the UK. And let me just clarify, because some people don't know about the Open University. This is not a virtual university. It's a university with a campus at uh, Milton Keynes. It's a relatively uh, highly ranked uh, university in the UK. But what they have is a system where if you have all the capacity to train for PhD, but you don't have an accreditation, they can accredit you as though you are not, well not accredit because that's a bit more technical, but they can uh, give you a status, what you call an affiliated research center. And once you are an ARC of the OU, you can train uh, as though you are a campus of the OU, but they are very stringent. They will, you have to give six monthly reports. They physically come and inspect all our books and everything, uh, and all our systems. And many of our students are registered there. But we also have students registered in uh, University of Cape Town, Vets. We have students registered in Amsterdam, Stockholm. Uh, we have uh, strong collaborations with Warwick University and other many universities. So we do have a wide range. What is common is that because they are now familiar with our structures and systems for managing students, they have pretty much allowed us to do most of the things. Okay. So we recruit the students, we do the pre-registration assessments ourselves, we do the the, 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 the monitoring, the six-monthly reports. The, at the end of the first year, all our students have to do a mini viva for them to continue and we also organize for the thesis and many of the defenses are actually done physically at the camera welcome but this is because we've been allowed by all these universities including london school of tropical medicine and hygiene and oxford and others because of the quality of the management student management systems that we have put in place do you have collaborations within the continent yes we do we collaborate with the university of ghana we collaborate uh, uh, with with Vits, with uh, Cape Town, we have collaborated with Makere and also Mbale. Uh, but yeah, so we do have a lot of collaboration. And that those are the universities. But in terms of individual, all our students, uh, especially from PhD level, have at least two to three uh, supervisors. And mostly, you'll have one supervisor from the program and you'll have a collaborating supervisor from across the continent, from across the world. We, the last I checked, we had over 150 uh, individual collaborators who are core supervisors and co-trainers and co-mentors for our students. There's a fourth aspect of the ATRR, which yeah. was after retain yeah. is reform. Is it uh, transform? It's transform. Yeah, and this is focusing more and more on having transformative leadership mm. in research. And so we want to move from simply looking at training as uh, imparting technical knowledge to imparting uh, leadership capacities. And when you talk about research leaders, we are not just talking of people who are able to do 
a technical thing very mm. well. We want to talk about people who can uh, 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 dictate the research agenda for Africa. You remember we've begun this uh, uh, session, mm. you talking about why do we have the West, why do we have the South, do we have uh, everybody else in being interested in Africa. And the, it is the case that because a lot of the funding coming to Africa uh, for research actually comes from outside, there's always a risk, and it has happened, so I won't pretend, not necessarily with our program because we have developed very strong local direction, but uh, you find that... Uh, the research agenda is being dictated from elsewhere. So when you talk about developing research leaders, we want people who can dictate the research agenda for Africa, in Africa. And so what we talk about call shifting the center of gravity for research for Africa to Africa. Mm. So it's not someone else doing our research. It's also about creating or generating graduates who have the status or the clout to negotiate with the funders, to negotiate our local governments, to push for mainstreaming of research. So we want to transform the research space, if you like, by creating people with strong leadership capacities. One of the things that you talked about before was that the challenge of not recognizing the importance of the role that research plays yeah. in countries. Yeah. You know, beyond the university where the yeah. learning happens, yeah. beyond the training center, yeah. beyond Kemri. Yeah. But looking yeah. at all the training that is taking place, mm -hmm. looking at people then who are armed with a PhD by the time they're 35 and things yeah. like this, mm -hmm. what do you think it would have in terms of impact on yeah. a country yeah. to have all of these individuals trained at this level? Yesterday, yeah. I think we saw another graduate from Kemri mm -hmm. who's just attained her PhD. Yeah. Uh, just things that we see like this. Mm. What impact would it have? Because unfortunately, I mean, as terrible as it sounds, somebody yeah. may say, well, okay, so really, what, what mm. does research really do for us? Can yeah. we focus on other things? <laughs> so can you shed some light yeah. on the importance yeah. of having yeah. this research in yeah. country and what it does? Yeah, I'll come from a slightly different angle and demystify research. Because often the reason people ask what does research do for us mm -hmm. is and I often get asked where well, you've been in research all those years prof now because for them you know research is, is a product yes. and, something tangible and, and, and yes of course part of research mm -hmm. is that we are trying to develop interventions mm -hmm. except that uh, interventions are not only uh, in, let me call them biologicals. They are not only the things we take or the things that are injected. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we talk about health research, for example, people tend to think about clinical research or biomedical research. So maybe allow me a minute or two to really expand the meaning of health research because once I do that, people can start seeing all the other areas where we are having impact, although it is not evident. It's not packed in a, in a small container where mm. you'll open. So if you think about the reason a child dies uh, in hospital or outside, uh, there's a whole range of reasons why that happens. They may have gotten to the hospital, but they got to the hospital and there were no drugs. And the reason there were no drugs, either it's because the supply chain is broken. We have people who are studying what is the most efficient way of taking drugs to our facilities. And it may look obvious. It may look like just put them in a pickup. Uh -huh. and in, and but, if, yeah. but remember, you know, there is a cost to it. There are logistics and all that. So we have people who are looking at how you supply. Mm. That is still health research. That child may have died because the drugs were there, but uh, the doctor wasn't available. And before we shout and say, oh, you know, those doctors are that way, you have to also appreciate he may be the only doctor he's been working to, or she may be the only doctor he's been working 24 hours. They need to take a break. They or may be in theater. They may be in theater. That is an, uh, an aspect of human resource 
for uh, for for health work health or, or health workers yeah. again there's a whole area of research there how do we develop our human resource for health you come back to the fact that this child may have arrived late why did they get there late because the roads are bad and they couldn't be brought to the hospital again is the hospital placement in a place where it is easy so we have people again who are looking at that whole area of how do you prioritize where access to care where is care for example we have had a PhD student who has done one of the most uh, high resolution maps of all the health centers in Africa and then using Google Maps showed where the roads are and all that it was surprising most many African governments didn't know where their own facilities are <laughs> because the facilities are put there often for political reasons or social reasons without making consideration so we have people who are doing all those sort of mapping of access again and and these are not people who came from biomedical these are people people who come from geography or engineering we come back to the child they came late because the mother delayed why did the mother delay they could have been because of their level of education they didn't recognize that education and health is a whole area or they recognize but they simply couldn't afford to go to hospital at that point so they waited to see whether the child would be well you see that's an economic issue all wow. they understood they had the capacity but they were not empowered they had to wait for the husband to come and say that is a gender and a social issue. Again, we have people who are studying gender and social. So the reason I have taken time to expound on all this, and finally, of course, they may have died because of the malaria itself, mm. and it's because we don't have the medicine. We don't understand. There's a part of the biology we are still struggling. That is a biomedical scientist's work. So you can see that there's a whole range of people. The reason I explain that is that we are doing a lot of work in all those areas, and we are generating data and information that has been used to change policy, to inform prioritization on care. We have people who are working directly embedded within Ministry of Health, working on universal health uh, coverage, working on uh, on informing, uh, for example, funding and financing of health. Yeah. And, and, and so we have had a lot of impact. But to give a simple practical example, when COVID happened, because of the both the investment in human resource and training that we had we had and also the high uh, the cutting edge you know uh, biomedical infrastructure we had we were pretty much the first institution to start doing testing that's why you notice kilifi seemed to have had a big spike of covid it, it sounded like everything is happening in kilifi but that's because we were the people who had the first capacity not only that we even changed the protocols for testing covid so that we were able to use much less reagent because remember that time there was a big challenge with the yep, yep. reagents. Mm. We have also were the first really to start uh, sequencing, looking at the variants, you know, tearing down the virus so that we can see what variants are there. And we generally have been the leading institution on informing that progression. So, as I said, but also we are practically have been again involved in examples in, in malaria interventions. We have uh, been part, we generated the seminal work that actually should uh, bed nets can prevent uh, death, especially for children from malaria. And it is that work that led to policies that have been adopted by WHO. And, and we have a lot of examples where we've had impact. Mm. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we are not as a but that's the nature of science. You don't you don't beat you don't yeah, go around beating. You don't tell uh, us what you do. You, so we were we're eating for medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're waiting for you to tell us what medicine you've actually come up with. This is the Situation Room.
the only way to start your day. Continues with Professor Sam Kinyanjui from Kemri Welcome Trust Program and Director of IDEAL. What's IDEAL? Well, IDEAL is the initiative to develop African research leaders. And really what it is, when we started the program uh, back in 1989, one of the things that we set out to do was to build local research capacity. As I said, the program is a partnership between Kemri, uh, which is the Kenya Medical Research Institute, Oxford University, and uh, the Wellcome Trust. The Wellcome Trust is a funding entity that funds uh, re research, animal and human uh, health research across the world. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we started, we didn't have dedicated funding or even a kind of dedicated platform. And a lot of the training then was if someone has a bit of money in their grant, they might train a master student. If they, they have a bit more money, they might uh, sponsor a PhD student. But we realized that you cannot really systematically build capacity if you're depending on this sort of ad hoc funding mm. and without really systematic aim. And so we sat together, the then director, and tried to define or design a framework for systematic training, but one that will also enhance our capacity to train. And so we then got, uh, we, we applied to the Wellcome Trust and they gave us money specifically for capacity building. And this was uh, then 8 million uh, pounds, which were then added up to that uh, to 12 million pounds. So about 1.5 billion shillings. And that framework that enables us now to have a systematic approach to building capacity is what we call IDEAL, the initiative to develop African research leaders. We subsequently got another eight million pounds. So to date, having trained almost a, a, a thousand people, including about 120 PhD students, uh, graduates, we have invested about uh, three billion Kenya shillings. And the reason I'm talking about the money mm -hmm. is to emphasize the amount of investment That's the country needs to put in That's three mm. b's not it's yeah. not small change it's no small change but on the other hand uh, if, if you I look at a, a bit controversial a, if you a look budget at of uh, three trillion some of the scandals that come out <laughs> that is a change for some of those it's two billion a day yeah <laughs> <laughs> you didn't just say that <laughs> so the, and this is the thing i mean even as we say that it might, might it even it might sound humorous yeah but everybody's looking for a result yeah and sometimes it is a result then yeah. that yeah. guarantees yeah. that yeah. somebody will see the importance in something yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. if you have been in the world, you yeah. already know yeah. why research is important. Yeah. Yeah. But for somebody who is crunching the numbers, yeah. for somebody who's talking about policy from yeah. a government level, yeah. they want to see the results. Yes. So what are some of the things that we have seen mm -hmm. as a result of what yeah. has already been happening with yeah. this funding that has come externally? Yeah. Yeah. That somebody can then say, hold on a minute, perhaps you need to be a tad more serious about this thing. Yeah. Uh, We've talked about Abuja declarations that were yeah. blue in the face and in terms mm. of what the recommendation mm. is. Mm. What can we say that as a result of, I mean, in the 26 years that yeah. you have been yeah. um, in Kilifi, yeah. doing what you've done, yeah. what are some of the things that we have seen? Okay, mm -hmm. this done, this done, yeah. that can show and say, look, guys, it is clear that we yeah. need to put a little bit more focus to yeah. this. Let me first say, if the last two years did not teach us anything mm. about why 
countries need to invest in research, I don't know what will. Because as you notice very quickly, mm. we were struggling for even the most basic things. We were struggling for medicines, we were struggling PPEs. for PPEs, oxygen. we were struggling for oxygen, and we are waiting for other people. And yes, we can complain, uh, and rightly so, about the iniquity of vaccine, global distribution of vaccines and all that. But part of that just reviewed our vulnerability yeah. to the vagaries of uh, the uh, medical in interventions uh, distribution system in the, in the world. And as long as we remain in a situation where we are waiting on other people to do the basic research that generate, remember, even the base, even the panel that you take is a product of research. Yeah. You know, sometimes we fail to understand. Today, if you went to any pharmacy, there'll be maybe uh, a thousand different uh, medical products. And all those, each of those products you're seeing there has had to go through research. And that has been a product of long-term investment. So if we are willing to remain subservient to everybody else with regards to health interventions, then that's fine. We need not invest. But if we want to become secure in terms of health, then we also have to invest in, in research. But to give you practical examples, and at the risk of repeating myself, mm -hmm. I give you the example of bed nets. In the West, they don't have malaria, they don't have mosquitoes. There was no impetus mm -hmm. to do research, to research on a bed net. That is research that had to be done here. Mm -hmm. And Cliffy produced some of the seminar or evidence that then pushed uh, bed nets adoption as uh, one of the key malaria uh, control tools. And even more importantly, not only did we provide evidence that they worked, initially, there were being given at a cost and the argument was that if you do not sell or if there's no cost people mm. will not value them mm. but then we show that the problem with that it creates a lot of inequity mm. and in fact the poorest strata of the society who needed the better most would remain exposed mm. and again it's work done in Kalifi that really pushed for the free distribution of bed alongside with other maternal and child uh, health uh, services and and so that's an example where you're seeing a product. But yeah. as, I, as I explained, mm. a, a lot of the output in research is often in terms of data that informs policy. For example, when you look at prioritization, you look at UHC, you look at all these areas, we have had extremely strong input mm. In these areas, if you take the malaria treatment guidelines, the booklet that uh, a doctor would be carrying in Kenya and in many parts of Africa, Kemri and Kemri as a whole and Kemri Welcome Trust have been major contributors. Probably about 30 to 40 percent of the what is in there, those guidelines have been uh, a product of work and research done uh, within Kemri and Camry Welcome. So, uh, and I'm using malaria as an example, mm. but we diversify, we, we are looking at uh, bacterial infections, pneumonia, we're informing the rollout of uh, vaccines against pneumonia. We are currently looking at uh, COVID vaccines that have been developed elsewhere, but that still need to be tested for the Kenyan population. Mm. So, so there's a lot that is happening. There's a lot of output. We work very directly and in many cases embedded within the Ministry of Health, and there's that appreciation of the work and the output that is coming from our in. programs. Prof, do you get um, sometimes maybe frustrated the gap between so research yes. yeah. plus the government program implementers yeah. and these are the same people who are yeah. like you. They yeah. have gone yeah. through the research, yeah. they've gone yeah. through, they understand yeah. this yeah. and then the decision makers, who are yeah. the policy makers, who are yeah. the politicians yeah. who are driven by something completely different. So you've come up with all these interventions. Mm -hmm. You agree with yeah. your counterparts at the ministries yeah. of health yeah. and the departments of health. Yeah. But then the final decision is being made by somebody who 
is looking for what Ndu is asking for something tangible mm. something that they'll go to the people and say you see I'm the one who brought mm. this mm. Uh, kind of program but do you get that frustration in terms yeah. of all the work that you put in yeah. and yeah. it not being taken up yes it it, it is it, and it can be frustrating because uh, you have to appreciate that a politician as you say has different interests and one of their biggest interest is pleasing their voters so that they are voted the next round uh so it can be frustrating there are also other uh, interests uh, there there'll be social interests there'll be and and so one has to be aware that the path from and and this is something that uh, many times even our funders do not uh, necessarily appreciate the, the path from producing a result or even showing that the potential of a product to it being adopted for public health is very complex mm. and one has to be aware it's not a simple line it's not like in the morning i wake up yeah i have this uh, good intervention knock at the minister's uh, office uh, door and they say this is great the mo- there will be a lot of other interests there'll be commercial interests there'll be as we said political interest and they can be frustrating and and i want to give a simple example we've known for now or almost 100 years you know clean water uh is a simple solution for diarrhea yeah. the, the one of the biggest cause of uh, death in young children is diarrhea mm. why because they get they are not getting clean water you don't need new research and yet to date despite uh, I, i remember when i was young we used to be told water for everybody by the year to, you know year 2000 was <laughs> magical yeah. well we still don't have water and clean water for everybody mm. so it is frustrating we're doing our part and i'm not saying that everybody in the ministry or the ministry is non-responsive but yes there are uh, many interests that compete with our ability to implement prof let me ask this question if i may yeah do you think that those involved in the research world mm-hmm. its complexities and all the wonderful things that the research world does yeah make in equal the same efforts they apply in conducting research in getting people to understand what it is that they do mm-hmm. yeah i would say it's like in any profession there's a spectrum of people mm-hmm. there are people who primarily want to focus on doing their good science and by their nature part of the reason they are really good scientists is they have certain attributes that uh, make them really good in that area but not necessarily very good in another area and then we have people who on the other are a bit more on the next uh, sort of uh, if you like uh, part of the spectrum who are able to traverse between the complex science and the sort of ordinary or the public uh, space and part of what we have been doing a lot is training uh, trying to train all our scientists and not all of them will become eloquent sort of speakers in, in general but we try to train our scientists to become better at uh, public and community engagement i i don't think that it's necessary fair to demand that every single scientist has also to be the one to go and uh, you know and, and and broadcast what they're doing mm. but we try as much as possible even those who are on that end of the spectrum where they are really just focusing on their science to at least have certain level of capacity to communicate but as i said it's like in any every profession there are bankers who can barely tell you all they do all they know is that they enter that bank and they do their thing and if they are to try explain to you you would barely understand and and then there are people who are able to really explain the knowledge broker so it's a spectrum you see why i mention it yeah? yeah our conversation in this country is often dominated by our politics mm-hmm. and part of the reason is because politicians are in our face daily yes either telling us things that can't work 
trying to grow onions on the moon and things like that. The things that we know probably wouldn't work. Now, yeah. I look at the emphasis that yeah. we have mm. or we put in re- just the very yeah. concept of research in our institutions. Yes. And it doesn't take a first tier or even second tier position. It's one of those things you do to pass an exam and then yeah. you forget about it. Yeah. So the very concept and its importance is lost at a stage where if it was inculcated, what we're discussing now would be a lot easier because yeah. a lot mm. more people, just yeah. by virtue of going through an education yeah. system, yeah. will have appreciated it. Yeah. Now, it's, it's within that perspective that I was asking my question. Yeah. Yes. And, and you're right that for a long time, uh, scientists uh, tended to be the sort of people who say, let my work speak, speak for, for itself. itself. But it's become evident that, uh, unfortunately, the work can't speak louder than politics. Mm. So someone has to amplify the work. And that is why if you notice, uh, if you went 10 years back, you barely had scientists like me coming or going into uh, into studios like this. Into a public space like Into this. a public space. And now there has been an increasing appreciation. So you're right, we do need to uh, get uh, more louder uh, in amplifying the work that we are doing. And, and that trend has picked up. And now, for example, if you are applying for a grant, all grants, all uh, research grants will ask, always have one section, which is community and public engagement. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very interesting because we have had to learn. I, I have uh, done a show in Ghetto Radio. Can you, try, can you imagine trying to explain <laughs> infection the... and COVID <laughs> in, uh, in Sheng? Eh? Hey! In Tov. <laughs> 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 you know, so yeah, so but we have had to learn because of exactly what you're saying. <laughs> indeed, yeah. indeed, indeed. You see, the if something isn't understood, huh, yeah. its importance will also not be understood fully. Yeah. Okay, yeah. true. Now, the commercial world, I, you, you know, I look at the aspects of research yeah. and I look at how it is we talk about. Uh, focus group discussions. Yes, it's a commercial concept, really. Yes, that commercial enterprises would get people to try and just figure out whether this product actually now research yeah. has adopted it. Yeah, and it has produced telling results. Yeah, because people feel engaged, they feel involved, and when there's an outcome, they know they are part of that outcome. Now, there's a question I want to ask: mm-hmm. How does the research world get this particular aspect of our lives and its importance embedded in our educational curriculum, so that from a very, very, very early stage, you see, we're not talking coding mm-hmm. and it's a big thing yeah. but even that coding will require research yes. to improve on it yeah. H- how do we get this into our curriculum so that people grow up understanding the importance of this particular discipline or of research yes research yes uh, research i think part of uh, or rather what I, I see as our big challenge is the way education has been structured hitherto and it has been predicated on you have an individual lecturer teacher who has a lot of knowledge and their job is to download the knowledge to the student Mm -hmm. and the student's job is to retain as much as possible and then when a paper an exam is brought to regurgitate it and 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 if they can do that there but you see in a sense you can understand many years ago when books are not available to everybody the resources are not available you the teacher or the lecturer by virtue of their having been long engaged would have more of the educational resources 
both the physical resources, they have more access to books, but also they would have learned more. The student had no way of being cleverer than, or of having more knowledge than the lecturer. But today, you know, my 11-year-old son can tell you everything about uh, a, lo- a rocket. Why? Mm. Because they'll just go on to Google. Mm. My job can no longer be to teach them how a, lo- a rocket works. My job is to help them think. So, for example, if they're looking at uh, some websites that are talking about rockets, how do they work out what is sensible, what is true, what is rational? So it's helping what we call develop critical thinking. And we will have to change. Our lecturers will have to change. Those yellow notes that uh, we used to, they used to teach us from will have to change. Because now, knowledge has been democratized. It has been uh, made accessible to everybody. Mm. And the only thing that we can really teach our students is to is critical. One is critical thinking. The second is synthesizing. You bring all this knowledge together how does it help you develop a new thing? Mm-hmm. That is the question we should be now teaching our students. But we are still stuck, unfortunately, in our education system where it is someone dictating uh, to you. But why are they dictating? I mean, these are things you can, uh, <laughs> you, you, you can just you can Google. Go and Google and what read. they should be is challenging the mind. They should be saying, now that we have all these, mm-hmm. go and put this together. How can you apply this to a problem X? How can you apply this to the problem energy problem we're having in Kenya? How can you apply this to health, the health uh, problem we're having in Kenya? Because you already have the information. I don't need to come and download for you. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Prof, you got a lot of passion and this is evident. Yeah. And thank, thank you. you very much for joining us and telling us what the work that you've been doing. I mean, those that's that's the ideal program is a fantastic program. Thank you. And yes, they may not recognize you, but we do. Indeed. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for having me here. Asante sana. Yeah. How about that? You made it to the end of today's podcast. You clearly ooze stamina. Guess what? Just hit subscribe at Standard Media Podcast, Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Our podcasts drop daily. From me and the team, catch you next time. Bye-bye.